following episode contains graphic and disturbing situations that may be triggering or too intense for some listeners. Hello. In this episode, we delve into true crime and paranormal cases that uncover the hidden shadows of everyday life. On April 23rd, 2018, the quiet town of Newark, Delaware was forever changed by a chilling sequence of events. Meredith Chapman, a former University of Delaware official, captured national attention when she was tragically found shot dead within her own home. The police investigation classified the incident as a murder-suicide, with Janair Gerardo identified as the perpetrator. Remarkably, Janair Gerardo was the wife of Mark Gerardo, a man who had been engaged in an extramarital affair with Chapman. The events that unfolded were both chilling and disturbing, unraveling a complex web of emotions and actions. Today, we uncover the truth behind the Meredith Chapman tragedy. We'll also explore three more harrowing cases, the San Pedro haunting, the cannibal sister, and the Enfield haunting. Are these cases just more morbid curiosities that curve your lust for the bizarre and macabre, or do they hold a deeper lesson to be taught? Submit your questions and stories to ScreamQueerCast at gmail.com or by submitting them to Instagram at ScreamQueerPodcast and catch new episodes every Tuesday morning wherever podcasts are streamed. Remember to rate and subscribe. Welcome to the Scream Queer Podcast with Ralph Anthony. The following content contains topics describing graphic violence, strong sexual content, explicit language, and elements that may not be suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It all began on April 23, 2018, when Mark Gerardo had plans to meet his wife, Janair Gerardo, for dinner. However, he received a series of text messages from her, revealing an ominous undertone. Her first text indicated that she had taken a wrong turn and would be running late. The subsequent messages took a progressively darker tone, with Janair expressing her deep anguish and resentment. Messages like, I'm not coming, just go home. You ruined my life, and I hope you never find happiness, conveyed her torment. The final message simply read by Mark. Filled with concern and confusion, Mark attempted to contact Chapman after Janair ceased communication. When his attempts to reach her failed, he decided to drive to her residence. Upon arriving, he made a chilling discovery Chapman's lifeless body lay face down on the kitchen floor. As he pivoted his gaze, he encountered an equally grim sight. Janair Gerardo, dressed entirely in black, was also found lifeless on the ground. The backdrop to this horrifying event was a relationship that had experienced its fair share of turbulence. 
The Gerardos had spent six years together in South Carolina, a period of renaissance for their partnership, as Mark Gerardo described it. However, financial troubles cast a shadow on their connection. Matters worsened when Janair lost her job, prompting the couple to seek a fresh start elsewhere. Mark's professional journey led him to the University of Delaware, where he assumed the role of creative director. This marked a turning point in his life. As he encountered Meredith Chapman, the director of digital communications at UD, the two met during an interview and their professional interactions soon evolved into something more. When Mark moved to Newark in 2017 for his new role, Janair initially remained in South Carolina while contemplating her own path. Eventually, she joined him in Newark, but by then, Mark's bond with Chapman had already deepened significantly. Their relationship flourished during Mark's time in Newark, with Chapman's energy and leadership style leaving a profound impact on him. Within a matter of weeks, their connection escalated, culminating in their first kiss. Mark even altered his professional course, deciding against pursuing a job opportunity in favor of remaining close to Chapman. Janair, suspecting her husband's infidelity, took drastic measures to monitor his actions. She sewed audio recording devices into his jackets, meticulously capturing conversations between Mark and others. This practice extended to her own interactions with Mark as well. Janair's dedication to this surveillance was evident in her routine maintenance of the devices, replacing them daily. Her efforts went beyond audio recordings. Janair transcribed these conversations by hand, amassing 12 notebooks filled with meticulously detailed transcriptions. This disturbing insight into their private lives was further exposed when these conversations were broadcasted, revealing the depth of their emotional entanglement. As Mark's desire for separation became clear, Janair embarked on divorce counseling, a process that coincided with her sinister plan. The shock of Mark's decision weighed heavily on her, and she grappled with feelings of abandonment and inadequacy. Janair's unraveling mental state manifested in alarming ways. She threatened self-harm, demonstrating the extent of her emotional turmoil. In one chilling conversation, she expressed her anguish, declaring, It's too painful to watch. She's living my fucking life. The narrative intertwined further with Meredith Chapman's story. Having divorced her husband and relocated to Rander Township, she accepted a position at Villanova University. Meanwhile, Mark left his role at UD and embarked on a search for new accommodations. Janair escalated her surveillance by bugging his office, screenshotting Snapchat messages, tapping his phone, and even installing GPS tracking devices on their vehicles. The tragic culmination was Janair's acquisition of a firearm just one month prior to the events. Witnesses reported seeing a suspicious figure near Chapman's home, dressed in a trench coat and wearing a wig and hat surveilling the scene. Janair's plan found its catalyst when Mark admitted to his affair after being confronted with the evidence from her surveillance efforts. Her desperation to uncover the truth had driven her to extreme lengths. The case of Janair Gerardo, Mark Gerardo, and Meredith Chapman serves as a somber reminder of the complex interplay between emotions, relationships, and the human psyche. 
This tragic event underscores the importance of addressing emotional turmoil and seeking help, as unchecked emotions can lead down a path of unimaginable darkness. Summer of 1988, a quiet neighborhood in San Pedro, California, would become the stage for a haunting that defied explanation. Jackie Hernandez, a single mother, bravely left her husband to start anew with her two young children in San Pedro. Little did she know, the fresh start she sought would soon be overshadowed by an otherworldly presence. It all began with seemingly harmless sounds, knocking in the attic that echoed through the night. But those knocks were just the beginning of a series of events that would leave the neighborhood shaken. One night, as Jackie investigated the source of the knocking, her heart froze. A ghastly elderly figure sat in her children's room, his emotionless eyes locked onto her. Overwhelmed by fear, she fled to her neighbor's house. Susan Castaneda, a neighbor and close friend, became a pillar of support for Jackie. It was Susan who Jackie turned to when the strange occurrences escalated. Susan recalls Jackie's panic and disarray after the incident. Jackie confided in Susan about the unsettling figure in her son's room and the eerie knocking sounds from the attic. Recognizing the seriousness of the situation, Susan knew who to contact for help, respected parapsychologist Dr. Barry Taff. Dr. Tapp and his team, including Barry Conrad, Jeff Wheatcraft, and Larry Brooks, swiftly responded to Susan's urgent call. Armed with their expertise, they embarked on an investigation that would challenge their understanding of the world. As the team explored the home, they witnessed firsthand the unsettling phenomena that had plagued the Hernandez family. Furniture sliding across the floor, objects thrown by invisible hands, their presence was undeniable. Dr. Taff identified Jackie as a typical poltergeist victim. Jackie lived in an environment prone to extreme psychokinetic events. During their investigation, a sudden crash from the attic startled everyone. Silence filled the air as they approached the source of the noise, an empty kitchen. Jackie's face turned pale as she recounted a past encounter in the attic. Her voice trembled as she described discovering a headless figure in the attic, as well as showing them a strange liquid oozing from the walls of the home. Lab results from samples taken in the house revealed a disturbing truth. The strange liquid oozing from the walls was human blood plasma, with traces of copper and iodine. The investigation took a chilling turn during a photo session when an unseen force yanked Wheatcraft's camera and pushed him. An overwhelming scent of iodine accompanied the paranormal activity. Batteries in the attic drained and rejuvenated mysteriously, baffling the investigators. But the most alarming account was yet to come, a terrifying attempt at strangulation. Wheatcraft's neck was seemingly coiled by an invisible cord as he explored the attic. Photographer Larry Brooks captured the shocking moment. Jackie would move soon after, reconnecting with her estranged husband and moving into a trailer park together. But the horror continued. On one occasion, 
Jackie set out to help a neighbor move a television set. As they moved the set, the set began to flicker on. Jackie would claim to have seen the elderly man she found in her children's room at the home in San Pedro. Soon after, the investigation pressed on. The team's efforts culminated in a seance with Jackie, during which they hoped to communicate with the spirits tormenting the family. The ghost's identity was revealed, a murder victim with a haunting presence. The ghost claimed Jeff resembled its murderer, adding a layer of complexity to an already perplexing case. The ghost also admitted to feeding off of Jackie Hernandez's energy. Despite the revelations, the haunting continued, attacks intensified, leaving Jeff paranoid and traumatized. Jackie, unable to escape the malevolent forces, was forced to relocate multiple times. Finally finding stability in Los Angeles, California, Jackie left the horrors of her old home behind, but the memory of the haunting would forever linger, a reminder of the unseen forces that can infiltrate our lives. In April 2019, a quiet neighborhood in Brazil was thrust into a nightmarish reality that defied the boundaries of human comprehension. What seemed like a normal day turned into a horrific tragedy that would forever leave its mark on the community. On that fateful April evening, the authorities arrived at a family home to discover a scene of unimaginable horror. Five-year-old Macon had met a gruesome fate at the hands of an unlikely perpetrator, his own sister. The tragedy unfolded as authorities delved deeper into the details. Megan and his 18-year-old sister, Karina, had shared what appeared to be a normal sibling relationship. Living with their mother, Daniela, Karina had even reassured her mother that she would protect and care for Megan as if he were her own son. However, the course of events took a horrifying turn on April 4th, 2019. Daniela left her children at home while she went to the market. When she returned, she found herself unable to enter the locked house. Karina's refusal to open the door sparked immediate concern. Unable to access her own home, Daniela sought help from her brother-in-law, Karina's uncle. As they entered the house, they were met with a nightmarish scene. Macon's lifeless body lay within, the victim of a savage act committed by his own sister. The details of the horrifying discovery gradually unfolded. Karina had perpetrated an unthinkable act. She had killed her younger brother. Detectives stated the victim's head was partially decapitated. There were knife wounds to the wrist, both eyeballs had been pierced, and the feet had been burned. The sister also claimed she had cut off her brother's organs and consumed them. The family's dog reacted instinctively, attacking Karina in response to the gruesome scene. 
In an unexpected twist, Karina fought back by biting the dog and assaulting her uncle with the barrage of items. The shocking events continued to escalate, leading to the arrival of the police and emergency services. Amidst an unsettling arrangement of black candles, Macon's lifeless body was found. But the horror didn't end there. Karina had allegedly admitted that she lured her brother into her bedroom by pretending they were going to play a game then suffocated him with a pillow, leading investigators to believe Macon was already deceased before Karina mutilated his body. Karina's apprehension marked the beginning of a complex legal process where she eventually confessed to the horrifying details of the crime, a twisted fantasy meticulously planned and executed while the siblings were alone. Karina's motive remained shrouded in mystery. Speculation ranged from a possible link to a satanic ritual to a twisted form of sacrifice. A psychiatric evaluation later revealed that Karina suffered from schizophrenia, shedding light on the possible factors contributing to her unthinkable actions. In the end, Karina was confined to a psychiatric hospital where she received comprehensive medical, social, and psychological care. The community was left grappling with the horror that transpired within the walls of the seemingly ordinary home. To this day, the home still remains uninhabited, haunted by the grisly memories of this family. In 1977, Peggy Hogson, a single mother, and her four children, Margaret, Janet, Johnny, and Billy, lived in a council house in Enfield, London. The strange occurrences began with knocking sounds on walls, furniture moving on its own, and objects being thrown by an unseen force. The focus of the activity seemed to be on Janet and Margaret, the two young girls. Soon, the family began experiencing more intense phenomena, Furniture would reportedly slide across the floor, objects would be thrown around, and the girls claimed to be physically attacked by an unseen entity. Additionally, both the children and Peggy claimed to hear voices and unexplained sounds, some of which were captured on tape recordings. Does it frighten you? The things that happen here. Oh, well, it did first, but now I've got more oh, used to it. And you learn to accept the things that happen. It slanger covered it, Mum. My idiot, Mum. Slanger bookshelf at Mum. Yeah. Have you tried telling it to go away? Yes, yeah. many times. No, nothing. And what does it reply? Mm. No, well, it won't. Six, Paranormal investigators, including Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair, became involved in the case. They spent months at the Hoxton home, witnessing some of the phenomena themselves. They claimed to have seen furniture move and heard disembodied voices. 
Playfair also documented instances of Janet's alleged levitation, during which she was said to have been lifted off her bed. Eyewitness reports from outside the home also claim to have seen Janet levitating, spinning in circles, and also feared she would fly out of the window. The case garnered significant media attention and divided opinions. Some believe the Hoxton family was genuinely experiencing supernatural events, while others, including skeptics and journalists, suspected the children of playing pranks or exaggerating their claims. Skeptics pointed to the inconsistencies in the accounts and the fact that much of the activity seemed to occur when the family was alone. As the Enfield haunting continued, the activity escalated further, with witnesses claiming to see objects move on their own, furniture tip over, and even pictures flying off of the walls. One particularly unsettling aspect was the alleged voice that seemed to come from Janet Hoxton, speaking in a deep, gravely tone that was said to be the voice of Bill Wilkins, a man who had previously lived and died in the home. During investigations, Janet was often observed in a trance-like state, and her voice would change when she claimed to be channeling Wilkins. Some experts suggested that this phenomenon might be an example of split personality or dissociative identity disorder, while paranormal enthusiasts saw it as evidence of supernatural possession. The case also had its moments of media circus. Photographs of Janet apparently levitating above her bed were captured, and while some were intrigued, others dismissed them as cleverly staged pranks. Skeptics and believers clashed throughout the case. Some investigators remained convinced of the authenticity of the events, while others pointed to the inconsistencies in the children's stories, suggesting they were seeking attention or perhaps even being coached by their mother. In the end, after spending more than a year in the house, the Hoxton family moved out in 1979, and the activity subsided. Maurice Gross, one of the primary investigators, continued to support the family's claims, even after they left the home. The events of the Enfield haunting were later the basis for books, documentaries, and fictional adaptions including movies and television series. To this day, the Enfield haunting remains one of the most well-known and debated cases of alleged paranormal activity. Some view it as a compelling example of poltergeist phenomena, while others remain skeptical, attributing the events to a combination of attention-seeking behavior and natural explanations. There's nothing scarier than our inner demons. Visit 988lifeline.org for information on how to seek help. Dial 988 to speak with someone over the phone or text 988 to start a chat. Help is available now and help is available 24-7. Thank you so much for listening into this episode, everyone. I really appreciate you, especially if you've made it this far. I just wanted to take some time to thank you and to thank those out there who have just been absolutely so kind to me and to this podcast for leaving your ratings and your reviews. It just, when I set out to do this, I I didn't really know where it was going to go. 
I definitely didn't foresee building a small little community of horror lovers and paranormal lovers and true crime lovers. Um, but that's what's kind of happening. And it's been so awesome with the outpour of just love and people reaching out to me because they want to collab. And I have a lot of exciting collabs coming up very soon. And not just on my podcast, I will be going on to other people's shows. And that's really exciting because I really wanted to connect with people and just have conversations and just, you know, just have fun with people who I normally wouldn't have have talked to. And that's what this whole creator podcast content creator world has has given me so i just want to say for the millionth trillionth time thank you thank you so much for your love and your support of this show it really means a lot as with all of our content that we create so much work and so much time and uh blood sweat and tears just it goes into it and just to see that it's it's finally starting to pay off is just so rewarding. And again, I'm just so grateful and appreciative. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, I will scare you all on the next episode. 